0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church, serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational, multi-generational family. family, equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Do You want to hear something cool? You know, we've worked a full year to try to get ready to put shingles on that roof up there. Guess what? First two weeks of October, of November, we're gonna get shingles. That is just a really incredible treat. You know, they said, for the most part, nothing can happen good during COVID. You know, you, by God's grace, proved them wrong. We can band together and do something and be blessed by God. We're a little short in doing, in, in doing this, this project, but we felt like we were close enough that we were going to take one final offering on, on Thanksgiving Sunday morning. So just be aware of that, but we're, we're so close that we're looking down going, well, thank you, Lord, let's just get this sucker done. Um, knowing that the day will come that the community uh, contractors are going to be busier than they've ever been, and they're they're quite busy right now. So we just rejoice. Family, without too many grunts and groans, how's your attitude this morning? Right place? Right heart? Good. I like to see the nodding. I like to see the nodding. In 1968, a runner in the Mexico City Marathon by the name of John Stephen Akwari, a Tanzanian athlete, is coming into the Olympic Stadium one hour after the winner of the event. He is dead, dead last. He is bloodied and limping. And he is walking to the finish line, the last 400 yards he makes, and he circles the stadium track and he crosses the finish line. There are people who had waited just to see him, and they said that the applause was rather significant. He had had a fall while he was running. And it was a painful, horrific fall. But he got up and continued on. And so someone asked him, he said, why didn't you just quit? And honestly, when I tell you, his words make sermon illustrations quite easy. But this is what he said. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Family, you and I are heading to a finish line. And there are things all along the way in our lives that can trip us up. Often you and I think of sins But long before the sins, stuff happens. That sins creep in and affect us. Financial falls that we get a bitter spirit over. And it sidelines our faith. Cancer. Other physical traumas. That we look down and say, why was God so unfair to give me this? Death close to to us. Don and Susan just saw their 19-year-old son, Parker, go into eternity. And we have recognized that many have seen their faith sidelined because God allowed a tragedy like that in a home and it sidelined their faith in Jesus Christ. We look today at the culmination of, of everything that we're We've studied the last three weeks, Hebrews chapter 12, and we recognize that that God is encouraging us to finish well. And He told us in the first two weeks of a three week study that we are to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. He loved us, but because He loved us so powerfully, He endured the cross. He endured the shame. So he says, I want you to keep your focus on him. He then comes down and he changes the whole image to to one of family relationships. And we now see that God the Father disciplines us to teach us endurance. Just as Jesus endured, he wants us to endure. Now he disciplines us. That we may endure even more. And remember what we've settled on as a definition for endurance. It's not that you can just merely tough it out. But by going through the experience, if you will, you get a settled confidence. You know how to do this. You can accomplish this. And so God says, I put you in discipline or in hard situations so that you may discover how to go through this successfully. So that you may cross the finish line. And hear the applause of the great cloud of witnesses that started our journey a month ago. So family, if you will, join me either by, by text of scripture behind me or by word of God in your lap as we read verses 12 through 17 together. God's word states this. Therefore, lift your droopy hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Family, we come to the conclusion of this whole month long study. And basically, now these, these final verses are going to answer a question. Why our Father disciplines us to endure? What's the point? Why do we go through hard times? Why do we go through difficulties? All right? Wouldn't it be easier for him if, you know, we just accepted Christ Jesus as our Savior, and we immediately started to appreciate all of the benefits of what it meant to be his kids on a heavenly journey alright easy street streets of gold now easy life now we, we know Christ is our Savior why do we teach why is it sought out that we have to learn the lessons of endurance so these are the verses that are going to tell us why and the first of them is simply this we must seek family recovery So verses 12 and 13 are going to teach us. And the author now runs back to the illustration of running again. Much to my disappointment. I'm a walker. So the author goes back to this illustration of athletes who run. And family love by the Father. And since the the desired goal is to teach us to endure, he's going to now address it. Verse 12 explains the running success. And the strategy is expressed as a command. Now, I'm not going to ask any of you to show uh, 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 your hand if you did it. But I asked you last week if you, you could look at some of the verbs of Scripture. And I used First Peter specifically as an example. But if you look there, you should have found the preponderance of the verses of First Peter. The verbs that are inside are commands. They are not suggestions. You see, we don't serve the great counselor. We serve the most sovereign God. And God expects us to follow. God uses language that expresses that. He calls us slaves at times. Though we are heirs, though we are his kids, Paul over and over again would say, a slave of Jesus Christ. So when we see these, we we recognize that these aren't suggestions for us to follow. These are behaviors that he expects us to strive for by command. And so we see here, right from the beginning, he says, lift your droopy hands and legs. Now he takes us right to the illustration of the athlete. And again, remember, I aren't one. But a coach would look to a runner, and if he begins to droop, drop his arms, not swing with the gusto that he should, not extend his legs in the, in the stride that he should, if he reduces his stride, if he reduces the intensity of the motion of his arms, he drops his guard, his speed has gone down. And there are some times in life that you and I are going through, and I suggest right now is one of them, that sometimes the coach will just simply say, get those arms up. Increase that stride. This isn't an easy time. Tough it out. Tough it out. And so you have that right now from our sovereign coach. Coach. Lift your legs. Lengthen that stride. Lift your arms. Push hard. Get the most out of your Christian walk. He then goes on to say, watch the line that you run and minimize any additional steps that might slow you down. Watch a track meet sometime everybody strives for the inside lane and minimizes whatever step because to cross the finish line the fastest is also meaning that you've done it with the least steps and three and four extra slow you down but family I want you to also understand something else that the passage teaches us you're not on an individual run For individual success and individual stamina you and I are part of a team a family and we seek each other's success and and the scripture here points that out he says here follow along in verse 13 and make straight paths for your feet listen so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed so the idea here is neutral but I, I want you to know what he's talking about here in this neutral is really anyone else who is struggling you can't lift your stride and be lame you can't lift your stride and be out of joint All right. He's looking to you and say, you run with the intensity of someone who's healthy because behind you is someone who's hurting. Run with them. Run with them. If I would put the illustration to a moment in time I hate more than anything and that's winter snow. All right, Picture, if you will, One of those rare moments when we have a full snowstorm on the valley floor. The first car comes along. Let's make it. A Ford 250 four-door truck with four-wheel drive. He sets the pace and he drives through. The next car through, where do they point? To the tracks of the first guy that went through the tread or went through the snow the third guy follows and now he's got a matted area the fourth guy the fifth guy the sixth guy the seventh guy the eighth guy what do we find pretty soon we have the snow all compact because one guy made it through and the rest of them found it easier and easier and easier until it was matted down and everybody can make it that's our picture here Things that we might struggle with as a group. One person, one woman, one man accomplishes that deed and they come through. And that, that difficult, that, that struggle, they came through and they, they keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. And it makes it easier for that next person who comes through and has that very, very same struggle. you give them an example for others to follow you and i together give them encouragement to go on but they know they can succeed because somebody else in the body of christ has already done it we're a team so the essence of the question here is, will you drop out because of the hardships, or will you deal with the problems and keep running? Family, if you drop out, you need to examine whether you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ. True believers in Jesus Christ may struggle, but they don't quit because they're tired or, or hurt. The author of Hebrews has already stated in chapter 3, verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our insurances firm until the end. We run for others. We run to represent Christ. Because you succeed Others are able to follow. And family, there might not be a better time for us to, to, to find validation than there. As all of you sit here watching and worshiping in a mask, what a miserable thing. I, we were talking last night. I don't know of one moment in my Christian life where we have had a unifying moment of time that was so miserable. Where we've had to sacrifice for one another and the the opinions, desires of one another. That we've had to respect the government in in such a, a valid way. And all that that demands of us and the striving of what that means to apply it to our lives, apply it for the sake of others, apply it for our consistent walk. What a difficult moment of time. I know of nothing else. Walk well. Walk well. And may I, may I encourage you, make your worship day the most encouraging Part of your whole week, would you? Whatever it takes to help another believer make it through this time, do it with a smile on your face, would you? Let us at least see the cheeks rise above the mask. This is miserable time. Let us see the best out of believers. Let us see the most hopeful things out of believers. And if I could add, let us see kingdom stuff out of believers, all right? I'm an American. I worry about the next election. I want the best for the next election. I'm not going to be in America for eternity. I'm going to be in the kingdom for eternity. And I want every one of us to go through Whatever we have to go through with masks, with political insecurity, with financial uncertainty, with the confidence that you're not just an Oregonian American, you are a kingdom follower. You're a kingdom follower. We're in this together, we're going to succeed together, and we want family recovery in all things that point to God's glory. If you will, look at the next of why we endure. We must aim at the right target. Now, what a fitting thing in deer season, huh? Anybody who goes through deer season looking for a deer to shoot and comes home with a black Angus, shot the wrong target, alright, even though it had been a better trophy, it would be better for the freezer, they shot the wrong target. The farmer and the game warden might be a little disappointed. You and I have a target that we shoot. You and I have a, have a strategy that we're looking for and we're disciplined in life. So that we can endure and manage and hit the right two targets. And so, if you will, verses 14 and 15 point to those two targets. And we aim at two things peace and holiness. Our peace should be first with one another. In Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33, this whole section, which will end in verse 50 talks about some strategies for us. And their first question that the disciples came in and they said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And I can just sit there and imagine, Peter's looking down, gone, is there a better faithful goofball than me? Man, Lord, man, I trust you. I, I do things just before I put my foot in my mouth is there anybody better than I am I can hear James and John Lord we're angry for your character we'll kill anybody that bothers and questions you we've got to be the greatest I think even Judas Lord thank you for inviting me as part of the team these guys can't even add 2 plus 2 equals 4 And then you ask that cheater, Matthew, to be a part of your team. I'm an honest Jew. I got to be in there, the finalist for the greatest. And they began to argue. You you all know Jesus brings a little kid. Unless you can be as quietly, humbly, as faithful as this kid, you can't be the greatest. You want to be the greatest? You serve. You serve. When everybody else wants to be the first one at the table, you bring the food to the table. He then continues the challenge. We strive for partnership. He then looks down and asks a, a question. The, the disciples look and say, wait a second, God, there's this guy He's casting out demons, and he's not even part of the team. He's not a disciple. Who does he think he is that he can do that? And God looks down, or Jesus looks down, and very clearly says, wait a second, guys. If he's doing it in my name, don't you dare judge him. So there are people outside this room, outside of our family, that are doing things for God's honor and glory we've got no business to judge. You let them be successful. You encourage and pray for them they're part of the team so he comes now and he lastly looks at one last responsibility you sacrifice for other people and if sin is a problem in your life do everything you can to get rid of it he uses a graphic illustration If your eyes are causing you problems, pull them out. If your hands are calling you a problem, cut them off. Now you understand, he's not speaking literally. But the idea is, is you are so aggressive to your personal holiness that you're not going to let anything stand in the way. And after these three vignettes, he closes with this one concept that we're all familiar with in verse 50. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So what is it to be salty? To be humble, to be respectful of God's servants, and to be practically holy. Family, I also want to address peace with unbelievers. He says, Be with peace with everyone. Regardless of their attitude to you, you are to maintain a peaceable attitude with others. We never take the initiative in stirring up trouble. So Matthew could say in chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And so family, people are going to point at you. People are going to call you Christian. They're going to be derogatory in it. And God looks down to you and says, be quiet and take it. Be at peace. Be at peace. Defend yourself with kindness. Defend yourself so that your testimony isn't soiled or that the gospel isn't minimized. Allow peace to be key. Why do we do it? We do so for the second target. The target is holiness. Now, this isn't positional holiness. He's referring here to practical holiness. Those who responded to the gift of salvation must be holy themselves. So, family, this is a real easy concept. Only a holy person can strive for holiness. And so for us, it's very easy to see. Are you ready? You are not ducks, even though you like the football team. You're humans. So anybody after the church service who's out in the foyer, outside and tries to flap their wings, I want to promise you something. You won't fly. But holy people can be holy. That's why God challenges us here to be holy. Because you already positionally are holy in Jesus Christ. He's the one that we trust. His salvation that he gave us by grace is our fullness and our sufficiency for us to grow practically in the privilege of holiness. Your atonement changed you and made you holy and allows you a desire of holiness. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a bad day. It doesn't mean that every day is going to be perfect, rosy, and without sin. Let's just simply express ourselves now. God through the Holy Spirit, encouraged us, lift your arms, lift your legs. Why does He do so? That's the recognition that we're going to have those bad moments. There's going to be things in our lives that disappoint and bring despair. But a holy person who is positionally holy returns to the holiness of his position and desires to grow in practical holiness throughout their lives revelation 22 verse 11 says it this way let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy you see with holiness we're different because we have positional holiness Our nature is different than an unbeliever so that we can do the will of God. Now, let me walk with you just for a moment, would you? I want you to understand that you may have friends who don't know Christ, who act very similar to you, and they have many of the same desires that at the end of the day parallel the will of God. They're moral people. They're ethical people. They're kind people. But please listen. Isaiah tells us that righteousness of mankind without a relationship with Christ is as a filthy rag. It's moralism. So they're not doing the will of God. They're being pragmatic. This works for them. They're being Judeo-Christian without the relationship with Christ. They are just doing something that's formulaic. You, however, do the will of God because positional holiness has changed your heart so that your desire is to submit and do the will of God because the will of God is now something that you strive for, that you want to accomplish that is your daily hope and it's not merely a convenient moral moralism a rule following that accomplishes kindness so family we recognize that we have something different. We have the ability to follow the will the will of God. 1 Corinthians says it this way in chapter 1, verse 30. And because of Him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So family, we recognize our targets are completely different now that we know Christ as our Savior, and we are... We're being taught by God, disciplined by God, to teach us how to hit these targets consistently and faithfully. He gives us one third last reason why he teaches us endurance. We we, we learn endurance so that we must not relax. We never drop our guard. Verse 15 through 17 begins with three simple words, see to it. Again, command. See to it. And the idea here is helping each other grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Making sure everyone in the family knows Christ as Savior. So family, as we look at verses 15, 16, and 17, it wants us all to be watching each other as we worship the Lord. Because some of us may not know Christ as Savior. Now, you may find that hard to believe as you look around and say, oh boy, I know him, I know her. But I want you to, I want you to understand, there's been three men in my life who have come up who are significant men here at CBC, who have all said, you know, I found Christ. Christ as I began to attend faithfully at CBC, I didn't know the Lord until then. And your testimony, your impact at CBC, the Bible studies that they were going to, the the, the ABFs that they were attending, God's Word as it was implemented here in the sanctuary, all of those things worked together to allow them to look at their own lives and go, Wow, I wasn't following Christ. I didn't know Him. And they all made trust in the God of their salvation, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, because of the partnership here. And so understand, we can never assume that 100% of us know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We never know what's going on between an individual's ears. And we have the wonderful ability to encourage each other to follow Him. Now, we have a great opportunity to do that in a practical way this next month. We have soup supper. Now, let me tell you what we're not going to do. We are not going to grab 350 of us and go into the gym. All right? We're not going to do that. We can't do that under the system of COVID-19 that we have. But we are going to ask you, if you're part of a community group, get together as a group. If you've got a, a, a group of people that you know one another, if you've got a large family, bring them all together. We're going to have soup supper and we're going to do the time of testimony and time of singing right on Facebook. And so we'll go back to that Facebook live time that we had in Good Friday. Will I like go back to that, those opportunities. And those of you who have, are watching us still, we want to encourage you. If you're in a, a group that you allow that isolation to work together as a team, you get them together and plan on having soup supper and we will have something for you. And while you're there, ask each other's story. Share your faith journey when you came to Christ. What Christ is doing now in your life. And take that moment and allow soup supper to be one where you encourage each other's development of faith and push on. You may ask how God is working in their lives. You're not here to judge. We never do that. We just don't want to see the most loved people we know lose out on the gift in which they hear about so often. Why would you want someone who sits near you in worship each and every week not to have honed a love of the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart and soul? Family, he goes on and he closes, we watch for any root of bitterness. Now the idea here of a root of bitterness Is any sin in our family here that, if tolerated, could lead some who are identified as family members to falling short of God's grace? Now, remember how important this is. He's not talking about losing your salvation at all. Remember, only holy people can act holy. All right? Holy people can't fall back from grace. We're taught that. Remember the seeds. We come back to that often in Matthew and Luke. Seeds on stony ground look like good seed to us, but it falls away. Seed in weedy ground. The weeds choke it out. Jesus identifies both of these groups as not holy men and women. But you know something? I'll do everything I can to chase whatever weed I can from a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ and keep the topsoil around them as much as I can. And you and I should have that same commitment. We should desire, if they're in, if they're in shallow ground themselves, let's find a way to bring topsoil. Let's bring some encouragement to their souls so that their roots are cared for. And that's the idea. We're going to protect it so that no root, no sin that affects us can come out and and hurt what's being accomplished. Family, this is monstrous. Teens, I believe this might be the greatest challenge for you and your parents any of you who are raising teenagers today, your greatest worry, your greatest hope is that they follow Jesus Christ. Why would you want a valedictorian and not a believer? Why would you want an MVP and not a believer? This is our greatest struggle. This is what we encourage, and this is why you are designed to be on duty as parents. This is why we have an effective youth program, to not do what you're supposed to do, but to partner with you, that we may encourage believers out of our most vulnerable moment of adulthood, to encourage them to know and love Jesus Christ as Savior. And teens, you've got some of the strongest moment of time to persevere through. What a challenge it is for you. Parents, don't ever drop your guard. But but our young adults, they have to determine the biblical understanding of gender. They have to understand the biblical understanding of the use of drugs and alcohol, a biblical understanding of sexual sin, a biblical understanding of body image, a biblical understanding of how to handle social media in a world that's gone crazy. And if you and I don't ever watch over and protect without judgment, with good answers, we let a root of bitterness potentially in our ministry and in your homes that should never be there. The greatest role models to educate and teach are parents who sit across their family at dinner table each and every day. Family, many of us who sit here have to evaluate, can the American dream become a root of bitterness and affect us? I fear that there are times when the American dream becomes a substitute for our hopes in the Christian life. And it might be something like this, so allow me to to dream, if you will, that if I love Jesus enough, if I I serve in, in church in some capacity, if I attend Bible study, pay taxes, vote, enjoy American freedom, buy a home, save for retirement, then I will enjoy life. And many of us think that until it gets hard. The American dream cannot compare to Christian hope. Family, when trials are difficult, when there's sickness, when there's financial downturn, when believers struggle, we will not be disillusioned. When battles come in our lives, politics, changes where America is less Judeo-Christian, we will be at peace. When loneliness aches in us, We are single, wanting something different. We are widowed or widowered, and we hurt because life was thrown at us in a way we never anticipated. When depression or anxiety is a constant struggle in our home, we hope for a day when the world we live in has perfect fellowship. And when our bodies wear out, we look forward to a day when we will be made new. Family, the root of bitterness can lead to rash decisions. And that's how he closes our text of Scripture today. Understand how this went off. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. All right? What a graphic picture that is. He comes back from hunting so famished he wanted a ready-made bowl of chili. Family, he could have waited an hour. I want to suggest to you, if you've had a chance to read the book of Genesis, just a few years later, when Jacob's family is is striving to feed all of their, their, their animals, They go down to Egypt to get grain. But what do they take with them? Pistachios, almonds, dried fruit. Forgive me. But all of those things didn't just come in a few years' time. Technology didn't change that fast. Esau could have gone back to any one of those things in the refrigerator. He could have had whatever snack he wanted to wait for a meal. He traded everything for a meal right now. And what he gave up was the blessing, the chance by DNA to be part of the line that gave us the Messiah. And because of that, redemption in his own self. He traded all of that away. I don't want that. I want chili. I don't want to wait I want soup I don't want discipline I want soup I don't want to wait I want soup could soup for you be a new home could soup for you be a better retirement could soup for you be a click on a porn site Could soup for you be a dissatisfaction with what you're going through in life? Could soup for you be a sickness that sidelines your faith? Could a soup for you be a financial struggle that you cannot overcome mentally and emotionally? Could soup for you be American that's less free? Can soup sideline your faith. He ends with a warning. First and foremost, it's individual. Don't let a rash decision, don't let a a momentary struggle, don't let an issue that comes into your life sideline your faith. It validates that you never had positional holiness. Conversely, team, we're going to do everything we can to keep those roots from the family. We're going to do everything we can to do everything we can to enhance the awareness of positional holiness so that practical holiness is just the easy outcome. We want to see the endurance of of us as believers as we live out the Christian life here in Jackson County. Father, I thank you for the warning you give. I thank you for the training that you provide. Father, I thank you for the example of Jesus Christ who more than anything else gives us an example that by love for us he could endure the cross. And so, dear God, by love for him we can endure the world. Dear God in heaven, I'd ask that regardless of our age in this room, help us to remember it's not too late. Regardless of the moment in time, it's a necessary reflection and a necessary effort of change on our lives that we reflect who we are in Christ. That others may see who we are and find solace in following our path. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.